Open to Hope Conversations, the podcast. We believe that the greatest gift you can give yourself after a loss is hope. Using this moment to connect with others who have not only survived, but thrived. So let's get started. Welcome to the Open to Hope show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my daughter and co-host. Dr. Heidi Horsley. Well, today is going to be an important show, Heidi, because I know, and you know, that there have been so many people over the years that we've been in the field of grief and loss who said, where's God in all this? You know, what's going on? Did God forsake me? You know, where is it? And I certainly felt that at times after your brother died, and I'm sure you did. Absolutely, yes. It's, you, you are wondering, why is this happening to me? This doesn't seem like it's happening to anyone else. What did I do to deserve this? I mean, you, know, you can get into those spaces early on. Heidi, would you like to introduce our guest today? Sure. Jonathan Pitts is an author, speaker, ministry executive, and pastor of Church of the City. For more than 15 years, he has served in executive leadership roles in Christian media and entertainment. And he is the author of the book, My Winter Season, Seeing God's Faithfulness in the Shadow of Grief, which was inspired by the loss of his own wife, Winter. And he is the father of four beautiful daughters. Welcome to the show, Jonathan. It's good to be with you, Dr. Heidi, Dr. Gloria. I have to add one more thing to his bio. Jonathan is someone who has found love after loss, and he will be getting married at the end of the month. So welcome again, Jonathan. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's uh, exciting times, transitional times for me, for sure. So um, looking looking forward to everything, and um, it's a constant reminder that um there's always something to look forward to while we're still here, while we're alive. So I'm yeah, really grateful. Tell our audience a bit about your story. Yeah, so uh, I guess it's always hard to figure out where to start with that. But uh, ultimately, I met uh, a young, beautiful girl when I was 20, 21 years old, right after 9-11, actually, in 2001. Uh, fell in love with her. Um, her name was Winter. And we got married uh, June 27th, 2003. We'd have our first baby like within a year of graduating from college and getting married and would go on to build a beautiful life together. We have four daughters. Uh, my oldest now is 17. I've got a 15 year old and twin 12 year olds, all girls. And uh, it was just a really neat um, season of life. My uh, late wife, Winter and I um, met, fell in love, uh, had these girls together. And she actually started, uh, she created a magazine, kind of unapologetically Christian magazine for tween girls, age seven to 12, called For Girls Like You, and would begin writing the things that she cared about for our daughters, the things that she wanted to know, that she wanted them to know about God, the things that she wanted them to know, things she didn't know as a little girl growing up in inner city Baltimore in a pretty tough neighborhood. She had no idea when she was writing this that she was going to die. And yeah, so her left all these life lessons for your daughters. Yeah, her first book was a devotional for, for tween girls called For Girls Like You. And most of her illustrations were about our girls. So there's story after story in this devotional and the eight resources that she published after those of our girls. My, my girls will never want to know what their mom thought about them because they'll know it. They can read it. They can hear it in interviews she did. And so she built, not on purpose, really just how to care for her girls, this beautiful ministry that would become a beautiful legacy for Girls Like You, which is now a nonprofit magazine that reaches more than 5,000 girls right now, subscription. Wow. Um, anyway, um, we're, everything was going great. 14-year-old daughter at the time, 11-year-old and twin nine-year-olds. We actually were moving from Texas, where we were for uh, about 14 years, to Nashville for me to take a job as an executive pastor at Church of the City. And uh, we'd buy our house on July 10th, 2018. We'd move in 
July 14th. We'd live here four nights. We'd go on vacation for a week and then we'd go to Dallas for me to finish up the executive role I was in. While we were there, uh, it was a Tuesday of that week. Um, my uh, winter basically just texted me and she just said, hey, I don't, I don't feel good. Give me the sick emoji. And I said, is everything okay? And she never responded. And so I got home and I walked into the house we were staying in. And when I walked in, my sister-in-law and her daughters and my daughters, they were all doing each other's hair. And winter was laughing and fine. And I actually went and laid down and took a nap. And I got up and, and then Winter said, I think I just need to go lay down. And so she went into the bedroom to lay down and I started making dinner. And um, she, I went and knocked on the door when dinner was ready and said, hey, are you, are, do you want to eat? She said, I think I just need to rest for longer. She had a book deadline that she was working on, um, her last book, um, which is called I Am Yours, which is a prayer book for girls. I went in the room to ask her if, um, if she wanted to eat. She said no. So I went back out. We finished dinner. And because we had ribs, which I'll never eat Costco ribs again. Um, I went into the room to floss my teeth after having dinner and I uh, walked in, went to the bathroom, flossed my teeth. And as I peeked out of the bathroom, just kind of flossed my teeth, Winter had sat up and um, her back was to me. She was kind of looking out of the window as I was looking at her and she just kind of slumped over. You know, when you're like really tired, you don't feel, feel like getting up and you just kind of slump over. Like, I don't feel like getting up. And I thought she was just doing that kind of lazily laying back down. And what I realized within a couple of seconds is that she was actually having um, what I thought was a seizure, which would end up being kind of what's called a cardiac dysrhythmia. And um, what was the most traumatic experience of my life, the next 30 minutes of um, basically trying to resuscitate her, I would say was the 30 most glorious minutes of her life where she went on to meet her savior and her Lord Jesus. And Wow. Uh, it's what I believe, and I don't know what the people believe on your podcast, but it's what I believe is where my faith is at, and it's literally what's kept me and my girls for the last three years and three months. Horrendous time for you and the most glorious for her. What an interesting juxtaposition. Very mm -hmm. interesting. But let me stop you and ask you, did you feel that way immediately? Did this test you today? <laughs> I didn't. I, so it Two things can be true at once. So <clears throat> I guess cognitively and in my, what I would call my faith mind, that my mind that knows what it knows, that believes what it believes and trusts what it trusts, knew that immediately and could, could identify with that part of my life, my brain, while at the same time I was experiencing the darkest moments of my life. You know, like I've been, you know, I'm a pastor, so I've walked with people through death, this is the closest I'd ever walked to death. And I've never experienced darker times. I mean, you talk about, like the reality, I mean, I guess you guys have been here where I'm at the hospital, you know, they pronounced her, they didn't pronounce her until she got to the hospital. I believe that she was already gone when we got there. But I mean, walking into that room, they, they, basically what happened was I walked, I was in the hallway pacing in the emergency room. And um, one of the attendants came out and just said, hey, um, we had a pulse, but it's gone. And you might want to come say goodbye to your wife. This is 30 minutes after, 40 minutes after this experience starts. It's hard to tell time. But I remember walking into that space and knowing that if she was going to make it, it would be a miracle. And if she made it and it wasn't a miracle, she'd probably be brain dead. But most likely I was saying goodbye to my, to my wife. And so I basically walked into that room and I don't even know where this came from, but there's a song um, and I'll just kind of do what I'd normally do, which is sing it. It goes, it's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out a praise, pour out a praise. It's your breath. In our lungs, so we pour out a praise to you only. Great are you, God. It's a worship song that basically, I don't know how, but instinctively I began to sing over her. I feel like for me, it was a reminder of what was happening with her in moments where I was like, what's happening? 
And for her, it was a reminder of where she was going. Um, and so I sang that and felt really at peace in that moment. And then the next moment I'm in a little room with her body and I'm looking at the body of my deceased wife on a table and you wanna talk about darkness overcoming someone. In that moment, darkness kind of overcame me. And I would real, I'd live in a real place of darkness at least for like a month of like, it was hard for me to even sleep. I have an identical twin brother who flew in. He landed within 12 hours from New Jersey uh, where we grew up, landed in Dallas. And I literally could not sleep for two weeks without a part of my body touching his body. And so I experienced those two things like this. Um, I wouldn't even call it cognitive dissonance because both things were true at once. I was in deep fear. Death is like, I would say the, the greatest apologetic for eternal life to me is death because it's not natural. It's not, na there's nothing natural about it. It's really not natural. It feels weird. It feels off. Something feels wrong about it. And so I would say it's an apologetic for eternal life, which actually gave me hope when she died. I'm like, oh, this is actually kind of in line with everything that I always thought I believed. Like when she left that body, I knew that she left that body. She was no longer there. When they leave, you know, they're not there. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, they're there and then they're gone. Do you question your faith? You know, I don't feel like I ever did. And it was actually for me, um, probably a, a moment of real clarity for me because what I said, I believed, you know, I walked through some kind of difficult things, but nothing close to this. And so for me, it was actually this affirmation of everything that I thought I believed. I'm like, oh, I actually do believe this because in these dark moments, in the deep despair, because I had despair, I had depression, I had all the classic things that people will have when they lose a spouse. But at the same time, I had this great hope. Uh, it's in, I think it's in Hebrew, it says we have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. And I just felt like it was really firm and secure for me, like this moment of real clarity of like, oh, I actually do believe this. So I was able to leave my girls in that in a way that was honest with who I actually was. And I was going to ask you, did the girls question their faith or yours? Did it test them? One day I was walking upstairs about nine months into her mom passing away. She was really angry, angry, really bitter. And she said, I asked her, I'm like, what's going on? I walked in her bedroom. She's kind of under blankets and she didn't want to talk to me. And um, I said, I just kept forcing the, begging the question, what's going on? And finally she said, dad, I'm having a hard time believing that God is real. And if he's real, I'm having a hard time believing that he's good. And it was a real uh, moment of learning for me because instead of just allowing her to feel how she felt and allow her to be human, I chose to take that as an indictment on my faith, on my journey. And so I kind of, I didn't say anything mean or anything like that, but I was just really disappointed. And I walked out, I could tell that she could tell that I was disappointed. And I would actually end up coming back to her and apologizing for that um, because what I was doing was not allowing her to experience something that's really real that we all have to go through. We all have to experience just real human emotion, uh, anger, fear. It's all normal. And so I apologize to her for that. Ironically, my wife and I, my late wife and I, we wrote a prayer um, called She is Yours and I Trust You With Her. It's a reminder to us that on our best day, we are stewards of something that God has given us and our children. And I was actually trying to take ownership of something greater than I can actually own. Like her faith is hers. Her life with God is hers. I can steward it. I can guide it. I can speak into it, but I can't own it. And so I actually just that day backed off of it. I took that prayer, which is on a canvas on my wall. I took it off the wall and I just kind of signed it. I wrote down this reminder of what happened just to remind myself that I am not in control. I am not in control of my life, let alone in control of hers. And so, I, yeah, she probably was the one that I think had to reconcile it with the most. My other daughters are younger, you know, they're still only 14 and 12, my twins are 12. So I think they're still kind of wrestling. They probably will for a while. They'll probably have moments where they go, probably experience grief and difficulty that they've never been able to process because the age they were at is my guess. 
Um, but yeah, um, definitely real struggle with, with faith. And, and um, what's beautiful with my oldest daughter now is she's got a really beautiful, strong faith now. And she reminds me so much of her mom, just has this hopefulness about her that's just really beautiful and pure. And, um, she's an overcomer. So my wife grew up, my late wife grew up in, um, I'm still getting used to saying that, my late wife. She grew up in Baltimore, Maryland, in the inner city, drug infested community. And she was never a victim. She'd never allow her be, herself to be a victim. She was an overcomer. And I look at my daughters, the four most resilient girls I've ever met in my life. For other parents out there that have children that are trying to figure out how to help them through the, the death of their parent, what would you, what advice would you give them? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I think someone needs to reconcile with who they are and what they believe. For me, um, there's this reality that what happened in our limited understanding of winter passing away and us being here is not ultimate what we believe is ultimate is that we will see winter again. We'll experience life with her again. And so there's, there's a pain, there's a hurt, there's a loss, but it's not ultimate. There's a scripture in Philippians chapter four, in the new Testament of the Bible that says, um, whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is honorable, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy, think about these things. And so the thing that I try to do with my girls, the things that I try to do with myself is actually think about those things. Like think about what's true and right and honorable and pure and ultimately what's eternal. And so for us, we've been able to lean into our faith and say, okay, what's true is we'll see mommy again. What's right is she lived an amazingly beautiful life. And she lived in 38 years, as much life as most people live in 76 years. You know, it's like, there's, there's so many things that we can actually think about greater and bigger and more ultimate than our limited understanding of life and loss and death that can give us, it doesn't take away the pain. It doesn't take away the hurt, but it at least gives us a bigger perspective. And so I would say, for anyone live, uh, listening, I would, um, you know, I can't do this for you and I can't even like tell you you have to do this, but I can say, I would encourage you um, to check out what's ultimate, to check out what's eternal. You know, for me as a believer in Jesus, what's right and eternal and beautiful is this relationship that we can have that ultimately leads to an eternal life that's fuller than the life we even have that's limited here on earth. Because all of us one day, I can promise you this, all of us have a limited time and 75 years or 80 years isn't going to feel that much longer than 38 years in the end. It really is not that much time. And so I just think having, at the very least, perspective on life that gives you a hopefulness and a joy and something bigger than what you see. Uh, my, my, my old boss, his name's Tony Evans, the pastor. He says, if all you see is what you see, you'll never see all there is to be seen. And so if all we look at is our circumstances, we'll never see outside of those. And it, it can force us into this tunnel vision that yeah. keeps us from seeing and having a hopefulness bigger than our bigger than our loss. Did the loss of your wife changed any advice that you have been giving people when you've worked with people in the area of grief and loss? Yeah, I just uh, was talking to a guy at our church who, unfortunately, forty something years old, lost his wife lost his wife to COVID really suddenly, and um, has an eight year old son. And you know, the thing that I remember appreciating the most about people that walked with me were the people that would just listen and not offer a lot of advice or offer a lot of um, how-tos or even like people that would say, well, this, this is going to happen. And then, you know, you're going to have a year of this. And just would give me a lot of like thoughtfulness that at the moment didn't help me. If I were to sit down with somebody that's grieving now, I would just listen to their story, listen to their hurt, because what was actually more helpful to me than anything else was processing, talking about what I feel, talking about what I sense, talking about what I'm afraid of, like literally just processing things out loud whether it be with a clinical counselor or whether it be with just a friend, like the more I talked, the more I could actually just process things that when somebody else is talking at me, I couldn't do. Okay. Tell us about your book and where people can get it. 
Yeah, my winter season, obviously the playoff of her name, it's winter with a Y, by the way, my winter season, seeing God's faithfulness in the shadow of grief. And I would say my story is one of um, literally watching God's people, like ministering angels, be around me, rescuing me from my pain. I mean, I literally moved to a new state, a new town, a new school, a new church. Everything was new right before my wife passed away. And I had these people surround me in a way that rescued me in ways that I, there's no way I could ever pay them back. And so the story is really me telling stories of how I was rescued, um, just insights from that. The book is really just, I feel like me paying attention to what God was doing in my life through my pain. And um, my hope would be for anybody else walking through a similar pain, would, at the very least, it could help them start paying attention to maybe some things that are right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy and you know, things to think about and celebrate. The website that I would just ask people to go to is forgirlslikeyou.com, which is the ministry I still run for my late wife. Her magazine has done nothing but grow since she passed away and we're still publishing it, but they can find out about me more there or um, they can follow me. PittsJR26, Instagram is really where I kind of share the most. PittsJR26 as my uh, handle there. Um, But yeah, and they can find the book anywhere books are sold. Jonathan, thank you for being such an inspiration to people. And I will definitely go on Instagram and follow you at PittsJR26 because I love your view on life and your, the gratitude that you had. And I know that you believe that you are poor for having lost winter, but so much richer for ever having known her. So thank you for being on, on our show. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. It's been a real joy. Appreciate you. And thanks, everybody, for joining us on the show today. We hope you'll visit at opentohope.com. And Heidi and I always want to say to you that if you've lost hope, please lean on ours until you find your own. And God bless. I'm Dr. Heidi Horsley. You have been listening to Open to Hope, the podcast. You can follow Open to Hope on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To learn more, visit us at opentohope.com and go to Apple Podcasts to subscribe. I'm Dr. Gloria Horsley. Join us again next week for another Open to Hope conversation, where we invite you to lean on our hope until you find your own.